Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks, welcome back for another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. This episode is episode 267, and I am coming to you solo for this one. So we have a variety of different things we're going to chat about here today. I will give us a kind of an update as to where things are heading with the podcast, some stuff that is coming up for me specifically, uh, some training, where I'm at there, where I'm coming from, where I'm heading. So a bit of a recap on that. I've got three listener questions to touch on that I crowdsourced over the last week or so. Uh, They have to do with cross-training, beneficial foods or preferred foods in my training, and then also some strategies when it comes to staying on track with nutrition and training. So those will be some topics that we hit on in the middle of the show. Finally, to end things, I will introduce another challenge yourself workout. So for those of you who've been following along on the most recent solo episodes at the end, I'll oftentimes share a challenge and they've had some variety between kind of higher intensity stuff, lower intensity stuff, some strength stuff, uh, running stuff, a fair bit of variety there. So I'm going to continue on with that. And the way I think you should look at these is whether you are as into running as I am or coming to this podcast for different purposes. Uh, these workouts I think are approachable for, for most people. I oftentimes will kind of beginner intermediate advanced, like segment it so that it's more approachable to a wider range of people. But ultimately my goal isn't necessarily to isolate anyone who's doesn't want to do it. I want people just to get kind of curious. So some people might say, Hey, I've done that a bunch of times. Cool. I'm going to do a fitness check and do it and see where I'm at now. Some people may have never done anything like this. And I think it's just kind of a cool way to like be introduced to something different, whether you do it once and toss it away or start incorporating it into your daily, weekly, monthly, annually lifetime fitness routine is totally up to you. But I think movement and a variety of it are always cool things to experience, uh, especially for folks who are looking for different ways to to get out and get active. So the show will end with with that specific segment. Uh, All right, before we get rolling with the updates, for those of you who are feeling like you would like to support HBO podcast, there are a few different ways to do it. You can always support me through the current sponsors of the show. You can get a list of the different sponsors and the discounts they have available for you all at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. You can also go to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO if you'd like to donate directly to the podcast. For those of you who are not interested or able to support monetarily, that's totally fine. The show will always be free. Uh, It does go a long way to like, share, subscribe through the different channels that you prefer to listen or watch the show on. So if you do like the show and want to help out that way, that helps out quite a bit. All right, on to the updates. So most recently I released episode. 266 with my friend Mark Bell. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that one, or if you're a hardcore runner and you come here for the running content and you see Mark Bell, powerlifting world-class athlete, and not necessarily thinking he's going to be someone who's going to drop a lot of good knowledge for you and your running endeavors, I would still go back and give that one a listen because Mark is an incredibly motivated human being, an incredibly curious human being. And he shared a lot about his mindset 
and just the way he approaches challenging tasks or things that, that he's just not good at or wants to develop at, or has just never done before. And I really like hearing that from guys like Mark, because you have a person who has succeeded in the highest way in sport, in business, and uh, just generally has kind of approached life with a very positive attitude. So I think there's a lot to be pulled from that episode, regardless of whether you want to hear about Mark's world-class powerlifting, his bodybuilding phase, or his, uh, his intro into ultra marathon. He did do a 50 miler, uh, by himself, self, uh, self set up. Uh, he had a goal of walking, I believe ended up being, he, he thought it was gonna be around a hundred thousand steps or something like that. And it came up to be about 50 miles. And, uh, that's where he put himself. So, uh, go check that out and see kind of what, what he had to say about that. I did find it really interesting when he talked about the aftermath of it, because those of you who've run ultra marathons or even marathons for that matter, you kind of know, like some of the post run or post event, uh, challenges you have to get through in those next few days when you're dealing with the sore, tired body that kind of comes with these type of extreme activities. And it was interesting to hear a guy like Mark who has, push himself to the limits in some sports that are kind of the opposite of the spectrum, get that experience and describe how it went for him. Uh, also coming up on the podcast, I will be interviewing a guy named Aaron Alexander next. It will actually be a live recording to a degree. Uh, my, one of my sponsors, ultra footwear is doing podcast recordings at the running event this year in Austin. So I will be doing a few different podcasts there as a guest and as a host, I'll be hosting Aaron. Aaron is a movement specialist. Uh, he has helped guys like, uh, Toby McGuire, uh, Gerard Butler, some high caliber athletes kind of work with just the way their body moves within the activities they are trying to do and, and just being healthy and generally speaking. So I've got a lot of questions for, <laughs> for Aaron around that type of thought and just get his general idea or feel about what he thinks about running and how that impacts the way the body moves both positively and negatively. Also, I have Mark Kukazella coming on the show. Mark is uh, a very good resource when it comes to low profile, minimalist, natural movement, uh, for specifically for running. He owns one of the first minimalist running shoe stores, I think in the United States, if I remember properly, he's also had like a 30 plus year streak of breaking three hours in the marathon, follows a low carbohydrate diet. So I have a lot to talk to Mark about. It'd be fun to have him back on the show to chat about a variety of different things. And then Encima Inyang. Encima is Mark Bell's co-host at, uh, the Mark Bell Power Project. He uh, works at Super Training Gym. Also, very curious guy. Uh, huge source of, of information on social media and things like that. So he's another guest I've got kind of on the on the pipe coming up. Uh, also, Tunnel Hill Thoughts post recording. So I did a podcast episode uh, not too long ago. I think it was two fifty five where I just kind of recapped my experience at the Tunnel Hill 100 mile, where I thought things went well, the positives, uh, where things went wrong, what I could learn from it, and kind of what maybe led to some of the struggles that did happen in the latter portions of that race for me. And this isn't too uncommon, but a lot of times when I finish a race like this, there's kind of a first wave of impressions in terms of, okay, here's what went well. This is likely why that went well. Here's where I struggled. This is likely why I struggled. And I can get a lot of those kind of squared away and, and plot it out for improving. And then there's also some things that kind of come to me as I give it even more thought, bounce the ideas around, get feedback from other folks that, uh, you know, I feel that are, have a lot of valuable information to share about these sort of things. 
and I come up with some more stuff. So I did want to share one thing that I did not mention on that episode that I do feel was something that was probably uh, impactful for that particular event. I touched on just what I thought as for me at the individual level, perhaps a better path forward for hundred milers that I'm doing that I'm trying to like really hit a high end goal. And that high end goal is kind of a make it or break it where I'm either probably going to get it or have a lot of carnage near the end or a lot of uh, other goals, like kind of moderate goals that I could target and achieve maybe a little more easily fall off along with it because you kind of take a bigger risk up front. And I do find when I look at kind of my history in the sport, which is about 11 years at this point, I tend to be a little more strong at the end of races when I can have like some tune-up races in place, Uh, whether that's just a physical thing of kind of getting through the rigors of putting your legs through that much muscular endurance uh, throughout the course of a day, uh, or if it's just kind of a psychological thing too, where you kind of have a little bit more of a close proximity experience of running that long, you get to kind of work that mind muscle a little more close, close to the race itself. Uh, I think these things are important are definitely a piece to the puzzle for me. Uh, and it is something I didn't have specifically for this race. So that's why that one kind of stuck out. Also to go along with that, though, that kind of came to my mind afterwards was just maybe a little bit of a longer scope view. So one thing I've talked about in previous podcasts on podcasts that I'm a guest is just when someone has a really good race, it becomes very easy to see or ask, like, well, what did they do for like that final eight weeks, that final 12 weeks, that final 16 weeks, that that like actual build up towards that specific race and put a lot of stock into that specific aspect of their training and why they got the result. And that is certainly a very important piece to the puzzle. But really, when you see people hit these kind of high caliber races or races that at the end of the day, when their career is over, they look back on and say, that's the one I really kind of nailed it. It's usually when they've been in the sport for quite some time. So they have this really long training cycle, essentially throughout the course of their career that they're compounding and building on. And you see this probably more so with athletes that stay relatively injury-free so that they are just maintaining like their fitness and building from one block to the next and assuming they're recovering properly between them. It's hard to kind of rule out just the years or in some case decade plus of work that was done before that cycle as a piece to the puzzle. So I don't want to back up a decade, but I do think it's worth backing up a year or two and just looking at kind of like what my priorities have been in the past, say 18 to 24 months. And one thing that kind of stood out that's been different than maybe what I have done historically in the sport is if you go back to kind of mid to late summer of uh, 2020, I kind of shifted gears a bit and started training for a 24 hour race, which had a huge foundation of my training go towards slightly slower paced running. So since 24 hour for me is going to be a fair bit slower than a flat controlled hundred mile, my pacing has to adjust too. So when I'm training for like, say a hundred mile on a track, I'm doing a lot of running at somewhere in the neighborhood of like around usually like mid to high six minute pace. And that's, that's just a big bulk of my training load comes from that. And that's partly just because that's about the intensity at which I'm typically targeting for some of these flat controlled hundred milers. 
And I'm doing short intervals. I'm doing long intervals, tempo runs, long runs at goal race pace. I'm trying to push my pace as far down at aerobic threshold as I can get it given the time available and everything. I'm doing all those things as well, but there is a big component there of that kind of pacing in that, that target range. What was different about 24 hours that kind of shifted up because I wanted to train the mechanics and the direct intensity that would most likely be averaging or hitting for a big portion of a 24 hour. So that gave me probably somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five months of training that kind of removed myself from what I was normally doing at that kind of foundational level to just a little bit of a slower pace. Uh, after that, I did kind of go back and start training some of that more, those more typical paces and structure for the USATF hundred mile championships, which I did in April of this year. But after that, I kind of shut it down for a little bit and got back into training with my main focus being what was going to be my transcontinental run project, uh, which was supposed to take place in September before I injured my ankle. Uh, so that was a huge chunk of the year, kind of even slower yet, because if you think of, if any of you listened to any of the stuff that I did talking about the transcontinental project, that was going to have to be even a slower pace because we're talking about running 12, 14 hours a day for six plus weeks. You just have to slow things down in order to make that sustainable. So I was adjusting my training accordingly. And then I got injured. So I took some time off to get that. And then I started building back up, which uh, kind of put me in a position where I was kind of, I wouldn't say starting from scratch because I doubt I deprogrammed uh, entirely. My injury just wasn't significant enough to sideline me long enough to kind of completely deprogram, but it was time off and it was time off after a block of training that was quite a bit different than my typical hundred mile training. And then when I started kind of building back up, I knew my next race was likely going to be a flat controllable hundred miler. So I started kind of reintroducing that training. And even though I was hitting the paces at the effort that typically is indicative of me being ready for a hundred mile, it's possible I just didn't have uh, enough kind of foundation in those paces over the last 12 to 18 months, or even 24 months, if you want to look it back a little further yet. Uh, so that's something I've been kind of considering too, is just like making sure, uh, of course, depending on what my goal event is going to be, most likely it's going to be a uh, some sort of flat hundred miler. I'll likely do some more tune-up races leading to that one of the 50K to 100K nature. But ultimately I need to kind of compound the training block I just had where I was hitting those kind of paces that are more uh, comparable for hundred mile and uh, get another block compound of that. So I can start kind of stacking a little bit more length in that and maybe get a little more a uh, little more strength in, in, in the physical side of things uh, with, with that type of running at that specific intensity that I'll plan on using. And that might help clean up some of that back end as well. So just some food for thought, uh, some things that I've been thinking about, things have been bouncing around in my head as I get back into training and uh, get, get excited about what, what's next for me. So that leads me to training. Uh, I'm coming right out of essentially like a two weeks of downtime. So when I finish a hundred miler or any goal race, usually I'll take it with two weeks where the first week, um, most likely these days, anyway, I won't do any running when I was younger. I might do a little bit of unstructured running if it felt like really, really good to do it. And I felt no aches and pains, no mental, like 
depression from the running stuff that I had done in the, the last block of training. And I was just like super excited to be out there both physically and mentally. Um, but I think ideally I take that first week completely off just to kind of make sure and double check that there's not anything kind of lingering around that could flare up and potentially, you know, sabotage my next training block. Second week out, I might replicate that first week if I feel like I need it, but if I'm feeling good and recovered, I might start doing a few runs here, there completely unstructured, no pace goals, no intensity goals, uh, nothing above an easy effort. So I'm never going to enter moderate, definitely not high intensity in that section. And, uh, you know, if I go up for a run and it's not really exciting to be out there and my body isn't feeling hundred percent, then uh, I shut it down right away. So I got through those two weeks and they went about as good as they ever do. Uh, I was pretty ready to start running after a week and I was probably running a little closer to the high end of easy for a couple runs uh, than I normally would in that second week, which is a good sign that things are kind of bouncing back in the right way. The, my, my, my mind is there, my body's there. So this week kind of started my first week back to structure training. My uh, targets there are going to be still focusing on paces that are below 80% of my maximum heart rate or like that high end of an easy intensity or lower. Uh, this is typically around 145 to 155 beats per minute for me. If you're looking at it from a heart rate standpoint, at this point, I'm pretty comfortable just dialing up an effort and knowing kind of where that point, uh, is at based on kind of where my breathing is just how hard that effort that I perceive is actually at comparatively to when I've done these runs in the past versus pushing up into moderate or pushing up into higher intensity paces. Uh, so for this first week coming back, I'm targeting, my starting volume of about six sessions of 10 miles at that intensity. Uh, plus I'll also be pacing the California international marathon and I will be at the running event in Austin this week. So that will introduce some, some miles that go away from that intensity, likely for the CIM pacing a bit lower for the running event. I'll do some group runs. I'm sure that'll just be with a group of people and, it depends on kind of how those are structured. They're usually a little bit slower than the high end of easy, but they're, you know, there's definitely potential to, to kind of push up to that there. So I'll have to be a little mindful of kind of the actual the additional training load from those two things before uh, completely committing to the six sessions of 10 miles. But that's kind of my, my loose target for this week going forward. And then I'll start kind of building on that and I'll put, I'll put a few weeks of base building in, I think, before I do any speed work uh, for reasons kind of along the lines of what I talked about with the post hundred mile reflection, where I think there's going to be some value in me putting together a little more volume at that intensity before I start getting into doing any short intervals or long intervals and tempo runs and that sort of stuff. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now with that. For this episode, my friends at Element are sharing some of their goodness to HPO listeners with some of their free products for the cost of shipping. Element makes an electrolyte supplement with no sugar. Each packet is loaded with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. They come in convenient single-serve packets that make them great for bringing along for a run, hike, to the gym, or while traveling. Personally, I love using these in a variety of different ways. I'll use some of their chocolate flavor in my coffee in the morning. 
I'll use their fruit flavors throughout the day as I'm rehydrating after big workouts. And sometimes I'll even throw their plain and more spicy flavors into a travel bag to add to food dishes and things while I'm traveling on the road. So head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to take advantage of your free sample pack, which includes eight unique flavor samples for the cost of shipping. Link can also be found in the show notes or by heading over to the show sponsor page, which is zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. So we can move into listener questions. First question comes from Sean Charkowick, and this one came in through Twitter. And Sean asked, I'd love to hear about how you incorporate cross training in your weekly schedule. Uh, Good question. So cross training is something that I've, I certainly do more of now than I did earlier in my running career. And uh, some of that's just interest in doing it, finding over time, good places to put it that uh, I think complement my running without necessarily subtracting from the quality of running that I get in and get ready for a race with. Uh, I think strength training is the big one that I definitely structure the most. So I'll focus a couple days per week on lower body strength work in the gym. And I'll do a couple days a week where I'm focusing on kind of upper body and core work. Some of the go-to stuff I'll do with that is uh, I've been most recently doing uh, Ben Patrick, or some of you may know him as the knees over toe guy on Instagram and YouTube. He's got a program called the zero program that I used in a pretty heavy manner when I was rehabbing my right ankle. There is a few movements within that program that I thought were just going to be really good for me to strengthen that area around my ankle. So I could avoid having that situation happen again, and ultimately be in a position to be able to tolerate high training loads on both flat and eventually varied terrains. So uh, his program has been one that I found, found its way into my, my, my cross training stuff quite a bit. I've also done some of the more standard strength work that I've done more historically, things like squats, deadlifts. I usually use a hex bar for the deadlifts. Uh, sometimes I'll use like a kettlebell or something like that too. If it's, if I'm not at the gym, uh, some stuff that I've introduced more recently that I hadn't always done are like sissy squats. I'll usually do those with, uh, with non-weight bearing. And then I'll do cable squats too, which is one that I had never done before in the past, but Mark Bell was showing it to me when I was at super training gym a few months back And it seemed to be a really good movement for strengthening my quads, as well as kind of the hip flexor area, which are areas that I think are going to be important to keep strong and balanced, uh, just, just for general form, but also, you know, I think a lot of times when people are dealing with like knee issues, hip issues tend to be due to either like whatever postures they're in their form, but also just the strength around those areas in their body's ability to tolerate the impacts that are going to kind of be generated through the act of running. So that's something else I've kind of put in there outside of strength work. Uh, the next kind of most common cross training thing has been kind of biking. And historically I've done a fair bit of biking, but it's usually just getting from a to B, like I'll you know, be like say three miles from the gym or something. I saw this hop on the bike and run there. If I need to go grab something from the store and I don't need to have multiple bags. I'll just hop on the bike versus get in the car. And, uh, that would be kind of the extent of it. But this last few months, especially 
when I was kind of rehabbing for my ankle injury, I started doing a little more structured uh, cycling. And what I was, what I've started doing kind of in, instead of some of the easy runs that historically I would do on the back end of like a two a day where it's really low intensity verging on like the middle or the low end of easy pace, even uh, I've just been subbing some of those out with uh, some bike rides instead. And it's been kind of enjoyable. It's a nice way to mix it up. I don't feel like it's negatively impacting my training or pulling away from the running aspect of it. I think I'm still getting plenty of the running in. Uh, so that's been something I've been doing a little bit more of, and I think I'll probably keep that in the rotation to some degree, uh, going forward, even though I'm really confident my ankle is now kind of up to speed and able to tolerate some of my historic training volumes and, and things like that. Uh, next question comes in from Joe Fitzwater. And this one came in on Twitter and Joe asked, what foods do you feel are the most beneficial to consume for improving your run? So like types of protein, et cetera. And do you have a favorite meal? And also what types of topics do you cover on your one-on-one option on your website? All right. So this is kind of a, a multi question or a multi uh, answered question, I guess. And when I look at kind of nutrition or foods that are the most beneficial, it kind of depends upon what my current goal or focus is. So my big goal is always to do whatever I need to do, both training wise and nutritionally to be optimally prepared for whatever race I'm training for, which is often a hundred mile race. But when you kind of zoom in a little bit and look at very specific steps along that process, I think things do change and the way you structure it. So I can give you some examples. I follow a low carbohydrate diet. So for me, I'm always focusing on the majority of my macronutrients coming from fats. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, higher than others, depending on where my training is at and where my carbohydrate intake is at to kind of supplement that. Uh, but my fat intake is usually at least around 50% of my intake. Uh, and that foundation I find important. Uh, so I'll do a good chunk of my fats will come from just the fat that comes along the ride with any protein sources I'll have. I focus on like animal-based foods for protein, uh, simply because, uh, they score higher on bioavailability. They have more protein per calorie typically than most, most plant sources, And for me, I'm not super interested in finding a lot of extra bulk in my food. So if you tell me, Hey, you can get your protein needs from this, but you need to eat twice as much of it. That's not very appealing to me because I'm already trying to eat about twice as much as I would at my current frame size. If I wasn't as active as I am. So for me, I kind of maybe look at food a little bit differently than say, the average person who's maybe trying to, to lose a little weight and is, is just lightly active. Uh, I'm not trying to kind of fill my stomach up with a lot of undigestible stuff or foods that are um, going to need more of more volume of in order to get it. And that's somewhat of a personal thing. I understand that. Uh, and I'm, I, I don't think it's necessarily the only way to go. It's the way that I found works well for me and gets me ready for my training sessions and feeling recovered and uh, nourished, but not overly stuffed or bloated. Uh, so the fat sources will come along for the ride sometimes with some of those, uh, animal proteins, some of them will be, you know, animal fats, a lot of dairy fats from cheeses, milks, yogurts, that sort of stuff. 
Um, egg yolk fats are another one that finds its way. I'll eat a fair bit of salmon. So the fats from salmon come in and then I'll do a fair bit of, uh, like extra virgin olive oil, seeds and nuts and things like that to kind of supplement some of the heavier training days where my caloric demands are quite high. Um, so that, that makes up a pretty big chunk of that. Uh, the carbohydrate sources that I tend to lean on when I am bringing those in are things like potatoes. I'll do a fair bit of beets. Um, I've been fermenting foods most recently. So beets, cabbages, cucumbers, and things like that. I'll usually ferment and have some of that. Usually I reserve those mostly for dinner time. Um, other carbohydrate sources I'll do sometimes is like honey, berries, melons, like fruits, some sourdough bread from time to time. Uh, but potatoes tend to be the one that I think is the staple for me. That's the carbohydrate source that I kind of use as my baseline carbohydrate intake option. And then when I need more, I'll start pulling from the other ones. Uh, some of that's preference. Some of it's also, I try to appreciate the macronutrient profile of the foods I eat. And when you do minimize one group of food, whether that be fats, carbohydrates, or proteins, you have to be mindful of which macronutrients you're probably also reducing that are typically rich in those type of macronutrients. So potatoes do tend to pack a pretty high level of, of, uh, nutrition along with, uh, the, the carbohydrate source I'm looking to from those. So, so those will usually make up a pretty big foundation of it. The carbohydrates I do eat. Uh, I think that touches on most of Joe's questions from the nutrition side. Oh, favorite meal. So I feel like I get this question from time to time when I'm a guest on podcasts and I swear, I feel like every time I get it, I say something different. And part of that's just because it doesn't come up so frequently that, uh, I get in a repetitive nature in it, but I'll, I'll go through these phases where I'll make a specific type of dish or a, a food group that I'll, I'll really enjoy. And then I'll just go back to it day after day after day when I'm at home cooking and, and basically until I kind of get sick of it or something else looks more appealing. And then I lean on that for a while. And I kind of just go through these, these, these cycles of that. So one dish though, that has been kind of in that cycle most recently that I've had quite a bit are. I'll, I'll take a cast iron pan and I'll put maybe a tablespoon of, uh, olive oil or coconut oil, or sometimes I might have some beef tallow left over from cooking or something like that. And I'll cook like six eggs on that. I'll uh, boil a, a medium sized potato. I'll mash the potato up. I'll put this egg scramble on top of it. I'll melt some cheddar cheese on that. And, uh, I'll have that with some, some sea salt, maybe a little salsa or something like that on top of it too. If I'm looking for a little bit of a different flavor profile uh, to go with, and that's been one of my kind of go-tos, one of my favorite dishes right now. Uh, final thought with Joe is my one-on-one -on -one options on the website. So I believe he was referring to my consultation service and that it, that's kind of more of the all-inclusive thing where there's really no thing that. I'm like, hey, I can't use this for this. I usually use that as like, hey, if you've got questions or want to talk to about, talk to me about anything, that's kind of the go-to to do that. Uh, it does skew heavily towards people who are coming, wondering about, hey, how should I implement this low carbohydrate strategy for this particular sport I'm doing? I think what makes that kind of more complicated. And this is more of a holistic thing. When you get into endurance training plans that are periodized, meaning you're doing sometimes very different things, one phase of the year compared to the next, it also kind of manipulates the way you treat your nutrition too. If you're treating your body entirely differently, one phase of the year, 
then your nutrition probably needs to adjust accordingly as well. So sometimes it's maybe a little more difficult to kind of balance the different phases of training and where your nutrition should be uh, during that versus just someone who has a very kind of predictable schedule or does the same thing day in and day out. And there's some runners who do do that. Uh, they can probably be a little more like black and white with the nutrition where this is what I follow. And I just plug and play this every day, essentially. And, and that's going to be kind of a personality thing too, I, I believe. But uh, a lot of times people are following a periodized training plan. They want a little bit of variety. They want to hear from me, like, where are some mistakes that could be made here in my training and my nutrition. And we'll go over those type of things. So those are real common uses of that. Uh, but a lot of times other people will just, they'll come up with a list of questions that kind of that they have about ultra marathons or something that they think that I might have uh, some good answers for. And they'll sign up for one of those. And we'll just kind of go through them and I'll, I'll share what my thoughts are and whether I feel like I'm confident in the answer, if it's something that would need maybe a little further investigation, if they want to be, be certain about their direction. All right. Um, final question. And this one actually came in via an email. I did not get a name of the person, but it was, what strategies do you use for staying on track with nutrition and training? This is a really good question. Uh, the nutrition one, especially, because I think one thing that happens to people is they come up with a nutrition strategy that they want to follow. And they get in this mindset that like, every day they have to do this and they kind of get maybe a little too black or white with it, where it's like, either I execute it and it's a success or I screw it up and then it's a failure. And I think sometimes what happens is when people get start compounding a couple of days in a row of that kind of, Oh, I screwed it up. I screwed it up. Then they kind of fall off and then just kind of like give up on it. When I'm looking at nutrition, especially when I'm working with folks who are trying to implement a low carbohydrate approach, we oftentimes stretch that out to say like a three-day target range. So rather than saying like every day you need to eat like this, and if you deviate from that, or you make a mistake, that whole day is wasted. We look at it through a three-day lens. So let's say you do day one and you hit your macronutrient targets, your food targets, whatever it is you're targeting right on the head. And you're like, great, that's a win. And then on day two, you make an error. You, you, you overshoot your carbohydrate intake or you undershoot your protein or something like that. And, uh, you, it could be easy to look at that as, oh, that day was a failure. I try to say like, well, what can we do to correct that on a three-day window? So maybe you overconsume your carbohydrate quota by 75 grams on day two. Well, if we're looking at it through a three-day lens, you can adjust by borrowing from the previous or for the next day. And then looking at like, what were my averages and my targets? And did I hit them over that three day range versus one day? And you can look at that three day range as an average win versus two good days, one bad day. And I think that kind of keeps it a little more positive, a little more sustainable, gives you more flexibility too. So if you have a situation where let's say you're, you're trying to track a certain amount of energy intake and you go out with some friends and you over exceed that by 500 calories because of, you know, the activities and foods and drinks and whatever you had with your friends. Well, if you're looking at through a three-day range, you can adjust for that on, you know, you can split it in half and spread it out over those next two days, or, uh, you know, take it into account into your next day's quota and, and straighten things out and give yourself a little more flexibility. So you're still able to kind of participate in the excitement that kind of pops up in life when, when you or your friends want to do something spontaneous, or if you have a situation where uh, your best laid plan falls off for a bit. And I think that keeps people a little more 
uh, able to not have things spiral in a negative direction. Uh, it doesn't work for everyone, It's but it is something that I found works well for me and works well with a lot of the folks I've worked with on that. Uh, with training, staying on track, the one thing I like to do is I like to have these big goals that I'm trying to target, like say maybe in four months, I want to do this race. And that's the big reward. That's where I'm testing everything and getting my ch chance to compete, uh, test myself, all that good stuff. But that is a very long goal in terms of it was very exciting when you sign up for that race, those first few weeks of training might be really exciting. But as you work through it, you know, life happens, you get busy, you have hiccups in training, it can be a hard goal to stay very excited about sometimes. So having micro goals or small goals built in along the way, I think are very valuable. So they give you little rewards built into your process along the way, which I think is going to keep that momentum going. So I like to program daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, and then ultimately kind of uh, like training block or like uh, race goals and things like that. So I can, if I need a little bit of motivation in the short term, I have a daily goal of a specific workout to try to hit a specific thing a weekly goal or maybe a training block goal where I can actually look and say, Hey, look, I got uh, 10 seconds per mile faster at this same intensity or this same heart rate. That's progress. That's like a reward. That's uh, a motivator. That's going to kind of keep me going, keep me excited, things like that. Or maybe it's uh, you're doing short intervals and you're able to do two more than you were with the same relative fatigue. That's progress. You're able to tolerate a bigger training load for the same uh, at the same recovery things like that. I think you can build into your schedule at the more micro level to kind of help keep you motivated and keep things kind of fresh and exciting along the way. All right. Those are our listener questions. So we can transition onto the final segment of today's show, which is the challenge yourself. So this episode's challenge yourself workout is inspired by Mark Bell. So I talked about Mark at the beginning of the episode, Mark, the, being the curious guy he is, wants to see if he can break a six minute mile which I think is really cool. Um, I think a lot of people at some point in their life, if they're in the running community have probably thought, Hey, I wonder where I can run a mile or maybe tried it. Uh, so I have a workout that is kind of somewhat connected to that. Uh, and, and it was sort of inspired by Mark and that he, he was going to do this just to kind of see where he was at. Uh, but it, it tends to be a little bit of a shorter, higher intensity workout and it's going to be four by 400 meters, or if you don't have a track, it doesn't have to be exactly 400 meters. You can try to get roughly close to it, but something around that neighborhood. So you can use like a flat stretch of road or a block around your house or something like that. If you don't have access to a track, but ideally a stretch, a block or a loop on a track that is the same distance. So you can compare each of these four things. And you're going to want to do your reps at a pace that you think you could sustain for one all out mile. If you were to just go to do that, you want to give yourself 60 seconds rest in between each one of these. And at the end, see how close you can get them. So here's some things to look for. If your first rep is much faster than your second, third, and fourth, and you get progressively slower, that's probably a good indication that you were going a little too fast that first rep. A fairly good indication that you might have a fair bit of work to do if you want to target that pace for that you did on the first lap for an all out mile. Uh, another scenario could be you just even split along the way. Maybe you feel like you could have done one more if you had to, that might be a pretty good indication that, you know, given a little bit of time and some structured training, that's a pretty good target to be able to run, run a fast mile in. 
another scenario could be you negative split each one you get a little bit faster and that's a probably a really good indication that you know maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit it could go even a little bit quicker uh, for for that all-out mile but what i think would be interesting with this is if you do this and then based on the feedback readjust what you think your goal mile time should be and then pick a date and see see what happens go out there and try it see how close you kind of get based on those 400 meter or roughly 400 meter intervals um some things to chat about a bit before you do that i would encourage when you're doing short intervals like this that you do kind of close that gap between rest and higher intensity running by doing a warm-up uh, something like 10 to 15 minutes of easy jogging followed by maybe some dynamic stretches are always kind of a good way to do it. Some strides or accelerations of about hundred meters where you gradually work up to the pace that you're going to be running those 400s at, and then gradually deaccelerating down over the course of maybe hundred meters doing about three or four of those. That can be a good way to close that gap. Just kind of get your body warmed up and ready to do it. So you're not going from like zero to hundred, so to speak, and potentially welcoming an injury from, from doing that. Uh, cool down as well, like nice, easy, doesn't have to be fast. can be even walking 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, if you're going to do some static stretching after this or later in the day is probably the best way, best spot to put those sort of things. Uh, but that's a challenge. So if you do it, feel free to reach out to me and let me know how it goes. And uh, maybe I'll start sharing some of the results from these. If, if people are excited about their results and excited about that sort of stuff. So, uh, send that over if you have it. Otherwise, if you are interested of participating in the listener question section of these solo podcasts, feel free to reach out to me at hpopodcast at gmail.com or shoot me a note on one of my social media channels. You can find me on Instagram at Zach Bitter, Twitter at Z Bitter are kind of the two ones that I check the most frequently. Uh, so uh, head over there and uh, shoot me a note if you have one for the listener question sections. Otherwise, thanks for checking out this episode. Head over to zachbitter.com forward slash HPO to check out previous episodes, details on shows, show sponsors, all sorts of stuff related to HPO podcast. Uh, but thank you for your time and have a great day. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, folks. If you are interested in adding some structure to your training program, I have some options that might interest you. Over on my website, ZachBitter.com, I have a wide range of ready-made plans that have options for beginners to advanced endurance athletes. I also have personalized plan options where I will cater a plan specific to the event you are preparing for and your personal schedule and training availability. You can also access a variety of add-on options from email collaboration to consultation calls to help guide you through your training and nutrition needs. You can access these with or without a formal plan. So head over to ZachBitter.com and let me know what you think.